The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so she went and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put him. Simon Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They're running and the other disciple got there first. He stooped down, looked into the tomb and saw the linen strips lying there, but would not go in. Now Simon Peter arrived and went into the tomb, saw the linen strips lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, folded off by itself to the side. Now, the disciple who arrived first went in. He saw and he believed. You see, they didn't yet understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put him. She turned and saw Jesus standing, but didn't recognize it was Jesus. He said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom is it you seek? And she, thinking he's the gardener, says, sir, if you've taken the body away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And She said to him, Rabboni? which in Aramaic means teacher. And Jesus said, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And Mary came to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now that night on the first day of the week, while the disciples were behind closed doors, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, he said to them, peace be with you. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning. And so we pray now by your Holy Spirit that you would so open our hearts and minds to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. You know, a Sunday school teacher was asking her class one year, what is the first thing that Jesus said to his disciples after he was raised from the dead? And a little girl put up her hand and said, the first thing that Jesus said after he was raised from the dead to his disciples was, ta-da! The truth is, on that evening of Easter, the evening of the resurrection, in John chapter 20, verse 19, 
we're told that the first thing Jesus said to his disciples, the first words out of his mouth were peace be with you. And then he showed them his wounds and then he said it again, peace be with you. You know, it's a common phrase that's used when a Jew greets another Jew in Israel today. It's the word shalom. Shalom Aleichem, peace to you. And then you respond, Aleichem Shalom, to you peace. It was the constant greeting back and forth. It was common. But there's nothing common about this greeting on the evening of Easter. Because what Shalom means, what that word peace really means, is that all is well. You're okay. Everything, and I mean everything, is going to be all right. That's what that word means. All of that packed into one little word, shalom, peace. All is well. You're okay. Everything, and I mean everything, is going to be all right. The problem is we can say that back and forth to each other. And yet, if we're honest, we don't always feel like all is well. We don't always feel like I'm okay. We don't always feel like everything, I mean, let's be honest, everything is going to be all right. And if you don't feel like that this morning, if you feel like, actually, it's been a pretty good week, well, just wait till tomorrow. On that night of Easter, when Jesus says that word, peace, shalom, over his disciples, friends, it is arguably, truly, the first authentic bestowal of peace in the history of humanity because of what Jesus has won over this weekend because of Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter, because of all that has taken place, suddenly these words aren't just wishful thinking and hope, but they become reality for you and I. Peace is yours if you're in Christ because of Easter. All is well because of Easter. You're okay because of Easter. Everything, and I mean Everything is going to be okay because of Easter. That's what that word peace means. See, here's the peace that Easter brings on this Easter Sunday. Three things of so many, but three just for this morning. Easter peace. We have the peace, the true peace at Easter because we're forgiven. Look at the wounds. We're forgiven. That's the peace that comes. But it's not just the peace of forgiveness. It's the peace of also being forgiven into a family. That we're not just acceptable. We sort of you know, barely pass the test. Fully welcomed in. Family. That's what Easter accomplishes. The family of God. Forgiveness, family. But finally, and oh, how an audacious claim it is. And oh, how our world needs to hear it. The peace of Easter is that we are now forever. We go on. Death has been disarmed. See, the peace that Easter brings first is that we're forgiven. I love the fact that when Jesus says to Mary to go to the disciples, he says in verse 17, he says, go tell my brothers, oh Praise the Lord, he called them brothers. Because let's be honest, after everything that had happened that week, they could have been called a whole lot of other names by Jesus. 
I mean, they were deserters, they were betrayers, they were deniers, they had failed in everything. And yet the entire hope of the gospel is contained in that word, brothers. Because something's happened, something's changed. Something took place. Jesus went to the cross and in doing so bore every denial, every betrayal, every abandonment in the hands of those disciples forgiveness has been offered. You see, the problem we have, friends, is we're like the disciples. I mean, if God was to show up right now, there's a part of us would say, oh goodness, like the disciples that night, you know, we ran from him, we abandoned him. Peter, you denied him three times. We are in so much trouble. That would be our experience if God showed up. We're in so much trouble. If it weren't for the hope of Easter, for the hope of those wounds, that we've been forgiven, See, friends, we don't need to be convinced that we're sinners. We don't need to be convinced that we're broken. We don't have to be convinced that we're gonna wreck things. We're fully aware of it. We know it. And in fact, that's one of the things that robs our peace. We don't walk through life with an experience of abiding peace that all is gonna be well because I am fully aware of just how capable I am of screwing everything up pretty quickly. I have incredible capability in myself to mess everything up. And you know what I mean. It's like the CEO of the new company, the outgoing CEO hands him four envelopes and says, these are for when you hit your first crises. When first crisis hits, open envelope number one. When second crisis hits, envelope number two and so on and so forth, four envelopes. Well, the new CEO presses into this new venture, a crisis emerges, he opens the first envelope. And it says, blame the previous CEO. And he says, okay, and he does, and it works like a charm. He carries on a little further, second crisis hits, he opens the second envelope. It says, blame the economy. Well, it kind of works, it gets them through the crisis, great, moves on, later a third crisis emerges. Envelope number three, blame the employees, blame the workers. Well, it kind of barely doesn't really get him through the crisis, but just squeaks by. Fourth crisis hits. He opens up the fourth envelope and it reads, prepare for envelopes. <laughs> See, this is what we fear in our lives and what robs our peace is we know how much we can mess everything up and lose everything, it seems. This is why we don't feel like all is well and I'm okay and everything, I mean, everything's gonna be all right. Until we look at the wounds on that evening of the resurrection. Jesus says, peace be with you twice. And right in the middle, he puts up his hands and shows his side, the wounds of the crucifixion. Because the wounds are the means of our peace. The moon, wounds are how the forgiveness has been won. For as Jesus went on to that cross, in the words of Martin Luther, a wondrous exchange took place. The most wondrous exchange, an exchange that looked like this, everything that was ugly and broken and sinful in you and me, he took on himself. And everything that was beautiful and holy and righteous on him, he put on us. That's the great exchange. In the words of 2 Corinthians chapter five, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to be sin on our behalf, that we might be the righteousness of God, that we would be forgiven, that we would be made right. This is what the wounds mean. And and the wounds, as we say in our communion service every week, he died once for all. It's all taken. Yes, we're gonna end back in a place of sin again and again. We're gonna mess up again. We'll be there. That's why I love Peter. Peter's my favorite. I'm gonna preach on Peter in a couple weeks. Oh man, you'd only have to wait one more chapter in John's gospel and you've got Peter having a major mess up moment yet again. Peter throughout his life is such the picture of God's forgiveness. That one moment on the cross, it took it all. You are forgiven, you stand forgiven for what you've done, for what you're doing and for what you will do, forgiven. That's why Jesus says in John 19, verse 30, as he's dying his last breath, it is finished. Do you believe that? Forgiven, that's the peace of Easter. But it's not just forgiveness, it's that we're forgiven into a family. I mean, I don't know about you, but I often think, well, I just want to get forgiven enough to just sort of squeak by, you know, be acceptable. Jesus goes further. He says, it's not just that you're sort of acceptable, but I want you to come into the family. My father and I are bringing you fully into the family. Verse 17, again, when Jesus sends Mary, he says, go and tell my brothers, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. In that moment, Jesus declaring that the relationship that he has with the father, the eternal relationship that the son and the father have had for eternity. I just said that, didn't I? I said the eternal relationship, yeah. The eternal relationship he's had eternally that we're now invited into it that God has brought us into the family, adopted us as sons and daughters. Now we can cry as we do every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, for he is our Father, not just forgiven, but made family. You know, I love in Romans chapter eight, verse 29, we're told that Jesus would be the first of many brothers and sisters, like the first brother, the elder brother. Do you ever think of Jesus that way? That we share a father with Jesus and we share him as our older brother. And what's amazing about that is that means we look around and see brothers and sisters. Y'all didn't choose each other. I mean, I didn't choose you. (laughs) Jesus chose you and me. By his choice. You did not choose me. I chose you, Jesus says in John 15. I chose you. And as we come to the communion rail, we have our family meal every week. Right? Jesus says, let's have a family meal. And I love the shape of this because it forces us to look at each other. You can't just come up piously all by yourself with Jesus. No, you have to look at the others around you. These are your brothers and sisters. You are not alone. You know, Jesus never promised us that we wouldn't suffer. Jesus just promised us we'd never suffer alone. We'd have a family. You know, it's funny, this last season of, well, season, six weeks, six weeks ago, as so many of you know, Monica shattering her leg. My wife, you know, our whole lives were turned upside down. And I have found in the last six weeks walking through this with all the love and the support and the care from this community. I didn't know how much I needed 
the family. Let's be honest. In my worst moments, I probably thought I was pretty good on my own. I had it all together, you know, just, it's like when the meal train was put together, you know, this idea of like people bringing meals to the house. Like if anyone had asked me, I would have said, don't do it. Why? Because I'm like, I've got this. And the Lord shattered my wife's leg to simply say, Paul, you don't have this. You need me and you need the family. You know, it's interesting in Paul's letters, he often in the final chapter starts listing all these different names. You ever found that you're reading through an epistle and in the last chapter, he starts listing all these people. And it's really annoying for someone like me that often memorizes scripture because name lists are like the worst thing to try and memorize, right? I'm going out to uh, Kigali next week to storytell Colossians, the whole book memorized before the Anglican world in, in Rwanda, 1500 people gathering. And so I've been working through Colossians and I'll tell you, chapter four of Colossians, I've had some words with St. Paul. I'm like, seriously, all these names? Tychicus, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Demas, Luke. Well, we know Luke. But the reason Paul takes time to list them is because these are his family. These are the ones who are walking beside him. Paul is being beaten, imprisoned, attacked, stoned, berated, and he knows he's not doing it alone. Because Easter has made the church a family eternally. And I know as you look at each other across the rail, you know, it doesn't mean you always like each other. That's okay. It's a good reminder. You've got all eternity to work it out. So it sort of blows your mind, doesn't it? Eternally family. But not only does Easter bring us that peace that tells us that all is well, despite the circumstances, despite the situation, that I'm okay, that everything, I mean, everything's gonna be all right because we're forgiven, look at the wounds, because we're family, brothers and sisters under one father and one elder brother, Jesus, but because we're forever. I know it's the most audacious claim of the gospel, that not only are our sins forgiven in Christ, but the death has been overcome. It was interesting in verse one of John 20 that we're told that Mary went to the tomb. And don't you find it interesting that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of the gospel writers always starts with the empty tomb. I mean, if I was writing it, I'd be like, forget the empty tomb, that's boring. Let's get to Jesus, ta-da, right? But the truth is every one of the gospel evangelists starts with the empty tomb because they want to make it abundantly clear that what follows is not going to be a ghost sighting or an apparition or a vision or a dream, that the tomb where this man who had died was physically buried has now been vacated and is empty. They must start with the empty tomb to declare that this man has actually overcome death. It's the reason why today, still in Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, you will wait for hours in line at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's the church where we believe, at least most believe, that the actual tomb, or at least what we think would be in the vicinity of the actual tomb of Jesus is located. People will wait for hours in line to barely get to go in for 10 seconds and kneel down where the body we believe was as you know, a guy there sort of immediately says, and go, and go, keep moving. I mean, it's the most unholy experience in the world. You know, keep moving, keep moving. 
you know, I'm trying to pray here. Keep moving. Um, but the reason people will do this is because we believe because of Easter that a man in this place actually rose from the dead, actually came back from the dead. You know, what robs our peace is not just our fear of our own failures and our need to be forgiven, nor our fear that we'll be abandoned and left alone and therefore this amazing gift of family, but we're terrified that death is right around the corner. And not just for us, but for those we love. That everywhere we look, death is right around us. And it robs us of our peace unless we understand what happened on Easter. Because Easter declares that you and I in Christ, if we're in Christ, don't die. Not forever. We are forever. You know, the story of the three guys sitting around talking about uh, what they want said at their funeral. I know I've said it before. It's worth saying again. Three guys sitting around talking about what they want heard said at their funeral, right? The one guy says, well, what I want heard said at my funeral is he was a leader among men. And the other guy says, what I want to hear said at my funeral is he was an amazing husband and father. And the third guy says, what I want said at my funeral is I think he's moving. Right, because we're terrified of death. We're terrified of the reality of death in our own lives and in the lives of our loved ones. And yet Easter declares that death has been overcome in victory. That death no longer has power and control. Jesus, when death stung Jesus, Jesus stung death to death. I like John Donne. You know, he was the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London and a wonderful poet. Some of you know John Donne's writings. And what is fascinating about probably his most famous poem about death was that he wrote it during the time when he was 10 years dean in London and three times in those 10 years, the Black Plague came through London. So think about the context. Black Plague running through London three times during his 10 years as dean and he can write this, death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful for thou art not so. One short sleep past. We wake eternally and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. This is the hope of Easter. This is the hope of what has been declared for us in those wounds and that declaration of peace. All is well. You're okay. Everything, I mean, everything's going to be all right because you are forever. And if your loved ones are in Christ, they are forever. You know, I close with this, that one of my favorite hymn writers is a man named Horatio Spafford. And what I love about Horatio Spafford is when you understand his story and you know the hymn and you're going to know it, you suddenly see the depth of how much this Easter peace can transform a life. See, Horatio Spafford was a wealthy Chicago businessman in the late 19th century. His first son died in the Chicago fire, the great Chicago fire. He had a wife and four daughters left and they were all about to go to London on a ship and business kept them back. So Anna, his wife and the four daughters got on the ship, went across to London and the ship sank. And Anna 
was saved alone from his family. He got a telegram in Chicago that simply said from Anna, spared alone. And so Horatio Spafford got on that boat, the next boat, another boat, the ones think, to go across. The captain of the ship, when they came to the place where they believed the other vessel had gone down, called him up on the deck and said, this, we believe, is where your daughters perished. And he prayed, and he went back to his bunk, and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever thou lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You may look at that and say, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. That's audacious. Friends, that's Easter. Peace be with you, Jesus sends, and then shows us the wounds of the crucifixion. I have made your peace. You are forgiven. You are now family you are forever. Now, I don't know if you know that peace. For many years of my life, I didn't. I was an atheist. And all I can tell you is if you're here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I, I, that sounds interesting, but I, I don't know. I don't think that peace is mine. All I can say is this. Don't let this moment pass you by. In the words of C.S. Lewis, another famous atheist turned Christian, he said, if Christianity is false, it's of no importance. If Christianity is true, it is of infinite importance. What it cannot be is moderately important. So don't let this moment pass you by. Ask that Lord into your life today. The promises for you and for your children and all who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus. But for the rest of you, I know, most of you by the numbers, Y'all know this piece. I've said nothing new this morning. But have you fallen away from it? Have you forgotten it? Do you feel like you're actually clinging to it? Or is it falling through your fingers? You know, this is why we come to church each and every week. You know, we do this every week. Um, <laughs> the reason we come to church is to be reminded of this Easter gospel. You know, we do this thing, which we're going to do in a moment liturgically. Anglicans are weird. We do this call response thing. If you're new to it, don't worry, you'll learn it. We'll say, the Lord be with you. And you say, also with you. We say, alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed, alleluia. But we also do this thing in the service every week where we say, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And the congregation says, we rehearse that Easter greeting from Jesus every week. Because I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know whether you feel like you're on top of the world and all is well, or you feel like everything's bottoming out. But we need to rehearse the Easter piece week after week. We come in and are reminded of the truth of what Jesus has won. The peace of the Lord be always with you. 
And it's all true because of Easter. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.